podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are back at it. The first episode of the new year, or maybe the last episode of the prior year, depending on when this actually drops. I haven't quite decided yet, but um, we are jumping right back into Kansas basketball. Took a little bit of a break for for Christmas. For those of you guys that are wondering when we're going to do a season wrap up for the football team, that is probably coming after bowl season is completely over because right now, honestly, I don't want to talk about football with all this basketball stuff going on. So we are getting ready to talk about this Kansas-Texas matchup that's happening on Saturday, January 2nd. Uh, to help me do that, I have Kyle Carpenter from the Longhorn Pod. Uh, you know, I just said that wrong. That's It's from the Longhorn Republic. Isn't that right? That's correct. Okay. All right. Sorry, I messed that up. I usually double check before we jump on, but I was just so excited to talk about this game that I completely forgot to do that. So, Kyle, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> it's all good, man. It's Longhorn Republic. It's a part of the Burn Orange Nation. So uh, there, there's a, there's like 20 different names. It gets gets confusing. I'm doing well, man. Uh, yeah. 20... And usually I actually talk with, with Gerald, your co-host yeah. over there. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Schedule wise, both of you guys have been I, you've been on here before. So it's, it's, it's always great to talk to you guys. Um, but so let's go ahead and jump right into this team because, like I've said with all the other previews that we've done, with barely any non-conference, it's been really hard to really know what these teams are to have a good idea, especially early in the conference season. So I want to make sure we got some you know, guys on the podcast to help me do previews instead of just me and Fetch um, so I can kind of get an, a, an insider view of what this team actually looks like to help inform my own decision or my own analysis on this as well. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of open up with a very open-ended question here. Um, what is the main takeaway? Like what, what is the thing that defines this Texas team the most for you? Well, I mean, it's uh, through a few games, right? We, we've seen a, enough sample size in eight games to kind of have a feel for it that uh, even though this is most of the same component parts, uh, basically added five-star freshman, Greg Brown the third um, and brought literally everyone else back from last year, even though it's the same parts, this team looks pretty markedly different from uh, last year and years past. This has been a, you know, since Rick Barnes and, and shock has been a, um, an exercise in, in underachieving for Texas basketball. And this feels like the first time uh, in years that you're seeing, you know, lauded recruits come in to Texas and play up to potential and actually play together. So you're seeing um, a fast team of athletes who plays pretty good defense, really good team defense uh, specifically. And they, if they're hitting their shots, which uh, they've been a bit hot and cold, but, but, you know, relatively have, have raised the floor from uh, years past where they were just kind of chucking with no, no regard. If they can hit that, then uh, their offense actually, you know, isn't just a, a get out and run. They have a decent enough, half court offense to go with some good defense. So I think, you know, this, this is a legitimate and for the listeners who may have heard this before when Texas has had some lofty ratings at various times, it probably didn't deserve them. This is legitimately a top 15, top 10 uh, team. We'll see how high they can go. But I mean, this is uh this is a, a, a legit team this year. Yes. I say you, you said this feels like a team that is not going to be overhyped. That's not going to fail to live up to the expectations. It seems, but there is still plenty of time for, you know, Shaka's team to, <laughs> to not live up to the expectations for the year. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think kind of coming into the year, the big story was, you know, they are the 
they are the team that got the most back and they were really kind of seeming to gel at the end of the year last year. And, you know, last year might've been the year that Shaka could have gotten kind of off the schneid a little bit and actually done well in, in the NCAA tournament because they were gelling at the right time. They really seemed to be coming together and making a late push to be able to get into the NCAA tournament. And then of course there was no NCAA tournament. So, but coming into this year, a lot of people kind of thought, you know, myself included that they were going to be a really good team kind of fighting for the top of the big 12, just because they had everybody coming back. They seem to be figuring out. And then I look at their Ken Palm page and like the one go-to guy that they have. um, Well, and and maybe that's a little unfair because of the, just kind of the way that they do this, but um, you know, he only plays about 50% of their minutes, but Greg Brown freshman <laughs> seems to be when he's in the game, they tend to run their offense through him. It seemed for whatever reason, um, has he made that much of an impact on what they're doing? Or is that just kind of one of the quirks of the, the way that the advanced stats look at it? Yeah. I, I, here's what I'll say. Greg Brown has that potential, right? I think, um, by to the big 12 tournament again, at the end of the season, I think you're going to see probably even more of the offense continue to run through him. And there's, they do, but I think Shock is also cognizant of the fact that this is a team full of juniors and seniors. Um, and, you know, we always like to say, look, it's like the Kansas model, right? You have a, a four-star or a five-star who comes in uh, a little later and has uh, has some meat on the bones at that point, you know. But uh, obviously with a player, and, and we all deal in, in lottery pick type talent, but a player of, of his status, he has instantly come in, secured a starting spot. Um, you know, he's had some foul trouble. He's had a couple... Um, where, you, you know, just uh, blocking fouls or charging fouls where he gets a little little um, kind of fresh mistake over over excitable in, in there. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons his minutes have been slightly lower. Again, I also think, um, like you mentioned, Texas bringing everyone back, being deep. Uh, there, there is some, you know, expectation of rotation. So I think uh, he to say he's the one go-to guy though, I don't know if that's true yet, right? I still think that Texas's offense is going to be facilitated and run through one of, if not all three of their guards, right? It's, it's obviously Matt Coleman at point guard uh, who's been there forever. Uh, Andrew Jones, who's been there even longer somehow and, and been through all the stuff he's been through. And then Courtney Ramey, who has had multiple games this season that he was the best longhorn on the court. So um, really they, they, they live through their three guards. Greg Brown's starting to hit his three point shot. So he's being able to facilitate a little bit more. Um, but I, I mean, this, this season, they, they go as far, even with the, the hype freshmen, they go as far as the, there two juniors and a senior it's hard to remember how Andrew Jones is classified because I think he's technically fifth year obviously battled cancer in the middle of that um he's 22 23 so he's he's an older guy for sure but I think he's technically a junior um but anyways yeah, two, two juniors and a senior. Anyway. yeah two juniors yeah. and a senior uh guard so I mean it's right uh, experience of the guard position will get you through uh, a lot in, in in college basketball in the Big Twelve. Yeah, and and I will say the you know the way that Ken Palm classifies it is by the number of possessions that they or the percentage of possessions they use when they're on the court. Yeah, uh, and so Greg Brown is the only guy that falls into his go to guys category because they yep. use you know at least twenty eight percent of his possessions while he's on the court. But Andrew Jones is kind of the next guy there, so definitely understandable. You know, Andrew Jones being. Um, obviously like, yeah, you're, I believe you said that it was his fifth year, obviously with his medical issues, you know, obviously he's been there for a really long time and with him being a junior and all the COVID stuff and going to like, he is the prototypical guy that usually we look at, like there's one, one, every single, um, I guess generation of big 12, where there's a guy that seems like he's been there for like six or seven years. Um, you know, it was Perry Ellis for a while. It was Phil Forte, like all these guys that you like always think that they're there forever. Andrew Jones is going to be the guy that feels like he's there forever because he actually was there forever. Yeah. 
because of, you know, his own medical issues and then the pandemic and all this other stuff. But, you know, he seems to be kind of, and, and you know, as, as an outsider, I am definitely rooting for a guy like Andrew Jones because of his story. How big, you know, I mean, it, it seems like he seems to be the leader of this team. Um, just like the guy that helps to make everything run. And even if he's not necessarily um, like the floor general, the guy that's always, you know, facilitating things through him, he seems to be like the, the emotional or the spiritual leader of this team. Um, you know, is, is that the sense that you get from him and, and just how big of an impact has it been able to have a guy like him coming back and being able to play the way he's been able to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a kid, right? Like a, a McDonald's all American come out of high school, just the expectations for him were crazy. When all of that happened, his game kind of changed a little bit. He, he worked on his outside shot last year as he was building back up kind of his stamina and game really came off the bench was kind of our Ginobili S six man who led the second unit end up playing, you know, like the third most minutes on the team. And he, Anyway, there was that streak you talked about at the end of last year, right? And this team came together um, and and gelled. During that streak, he was averaging, he was leading the team in scoring, averaging over 17 points a game. Um, and he hit almost 50% from deep. And, and, and we all came into the season saying, is that sustainable? Can he continue to do that? And he started off the season a little bit slower. Um, Matt Coleman, who, who is the point guard and kind of plays every Remember comes off the court. Um, we'll do all kinds of little sneaky things that you don't always see all the time. But he is he is really the guy who I think is is on both ends of the court shaping and leading that team. But you're right. I think Jones is a little bit more the spark, a little bit more the heart, a little bit more of the, you know, can be emotional, a little bit more the guy who will willingly, you know, take the spotlight and take the shine uh, if need be. Um, but, you know, he, he started off slow, wasn't shooting particularly well from outside, but he's, he's really uh, started to get it going a bit. And he's really, you know, he used to kind of be a attack the rim guy. And then he's, he turned into, I'm going to shoot a ton heavy percentage uh, from behind the three point line. And this year he's actually developed a little bit of a mid range game. It looks like, so he kind of has all three points of attack, um, which helps. Right. And when he's a scorer and one of those three isn't working, uh, you can go to the other one. So that's a, that's a wrinkle in his game that probably big 12 teams haven't seen. Cause he's really been one or the other up to this point in his career. Um, but again, if he's on and he has been the past couple games uh, leading the team, uh, not really the first three games, but since then uh, has, has been, you know, with the, the, the upper usage percentage for Texas um, when, when he's on, I think, you know, he, he can certainly be, uh, be a, a dynamo. I, I believe he and Greg Brown are probably the two names to, to know for the most part, who's going to put together an eight, eight, eight Oh run. It's probably one of those two. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess looking at this team, cause, cause we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier that, the end of last season, they really seemed to be coming on, really kind of gelling. How much of that, and and I guess kind of to carry it over into this season as well, was that like a change in the way that Shaka approached this team and that's carried over into this season? Or do you think it's more player-driven? Like, what has Shaka done this year or even going back into the back end of last year that really seems to have gotten them to to get things turned around? I think there's two coaching things that, that you're seeing. Um, first of all, the guy who's not going to get the credit, but I'm happy to give him some credit on this podcast, Coach Luke Yaklich, who uh, came in last year kind of as the defensive specialist and now has gone on to be a, uh, a head coach and left. It feels like his defense now and his fingerprints and the things he coached all of last year because all those players came back, it feels like you're seeing Yaklich's, you know, defense enacted a little bit better this season than you even did last season. And kind of at the end, um, last year you also saw – some establishment breakdown. There were some injuries. Um, there was just kind of uh shock was forced to mix it up a little. You got some guys like, you know, I think 
most Longhorns' favorite player on the on the team. When you watch the game, you'll notice him because whenever he plays, but Brock Cunningham, a guy who started playing at the end of last season out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, oh, he's the perfect blue guy, rebound diving for loose balls. He came out of nowhere. Royce Ham, who again is is kind of the 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 backup big who gets in there for Texas, uh, is a guy who who started to get some confidence, started rebounding well, and we've seen that you know come into the rotation this year. So it kind of forced Shakaskan a little bit um, to change up the rotations a bit. Um, and, and, you know, it felt like last year he had a minutes. Okay. Someone's hit their minutes. He's out, get the next guy in. Um, and, and I think that forced him a little bit more just to run. And, and they seem to have taken that and gotten a little more natural with the rotations this year. It's carried over. Um, and they will, you know, go with the hot hand and, and some guys may not play for a game or two in a row. And he doesn't feel like he's appeasing bench guy number seven, eight or nine, like he has in the past. Um, and so maybe it took a little bit of Shaka being on the hottest of hot seats and the team stepping up for him. And, and that's where I really think the, the, the final point is uh, they came together, right? They, they could have quit on their coach and he probably would not be the coach at Texas, but it was a five game win streak uh, to end the season out last year over, you know, three ranked opponents. And so um, that basically kept shock as the coach, I, I believe of, of UT. And, and so I think, that buy-in, that that team cohesion that that happened, the rallying around their coach is what's really transferring over to this year. So it seems to me like what you're saying and kind of what I've seen a little bit here is that it almost seems like Shaka finally decided, if I'm going to go, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, it almost seemed like part, part of his problem um, is that he took the step from VCU up to Texas and there seemed to be a lot more expectations, which you wouldn't necessarily think of Texas because Texas is such a big football school. Um, and he kind of almost got overwhelmed by just the, you know, combination of expectations because of where he was coming from and what he'd been able to do. And the fan apathy where it was almost like, I'm not sure how much the expectations were his own <laughs> as opposed to everyone around him. But it seemed like towards the end of last year, he finally just said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go ahead and do it the way that I want to instead of dealing with what everyone wants. And he seems to be kind of going against what was his downfall before. Now, the question obviously is going to be, is he able to keep that going? And are they able to build on that? Um, but kind of kind of looking forward through the rest of this year, like what do you think is going to be the key for them to be able to continue to build on that success and to be able to be competitive in the Big 12 race? I think it's defense, right? I think this team is going to go as far as their defense takes them, even though they have some really dynamic offensive players. If they can continue to play the type of defense they've played uh, so far, I mean, they've had a pretty decent out-of-conference uh, slate to get a, a view for them, right? They 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 did won the Maui Invitational and and you know beat Davidson, who's who's a solid team in there. Indiana, who is up and down, but you know I think has some talent um, and just ran them off the court. I mean, held Indiana to forty four points and, and made them look like and also ran. And then you know getting getting North Carolina and Villanova back to back. I think you saw a lot, right? They they very much could have won that Villanova one possession type of game. Um, came out on the wrong side of it. But again, you're going against Jay Wright. No offense to self, but I think right now Villanova is the best coach team in in, in the country. Um, and, and, you know, the, the fact that they they went step for step, I don't believe in, in moral victories, but that's as close as you'll find. Um, I, I really wish they wouldn't have the Baylor game canceled and we could have had a measuring stick. So this Kansas game uh, for a lot of, you know, Texas fans and supporters is the measuring stick, right? We It's a top 10 matchup. It's a big 12 marquee matchup. They've, you know, they've beat North Carolina, they've beat Indiana, they were, a, you know, a, a possession or a stop away from from upsetting Villanova. So they, they feel like it's there, but this is really going to answer some questions um, for how good this team is and how they can carry it forward. Like I said, I think I think being playing defense and hopefully 
um, being able to get out and, and lead into easy transition buckets and not be 100% a half-court offense team will, will uh, dictate their success. Villanova did a great job. I think Texas had like four fast break points against that and nothing came easy. Um, and, and, you know, it, it made Texas make some tough shots and they, they were able to hang. Um, but Texas has just athletes. Like when you, when you watch this team, you're going to see guys who, um, you know, just it's unreal. Like, you know, there's a guy who comes off the bench and Kai Jones, who maybe you started hearing about because he's starting to move up draft boards right now as a potential first round pick. Um, but he doesn't play a lot of minutes, but he just is an alley-oop machine, a, a, can hit threes and, and get about three feet above the rim. But they have these athletes like that who love to run the court. Um, and so, again, if Texas is, is playing good defense, getting rebounds and running, um, then I think they're a whole different team than if they're forced into half-court set. Um, and, and, you know, that may not be their strength with with players who can be a bit streaky from from behind the arc. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like everybody in the Big 12, like that's what they say their big strength is, you know, is – is defense, <laughs> which is kind of funny because if everybody's strength is defense, <laughs> um, somebody's got to have good, like it, it almost seems like offense is going to be what ends up determining like who's able to get their offense going. Um, you know, I'm, I, I am curious though, cause I'm looking at Texas's defense, uh, specifically looking at their Ken Palm page. And it seems mm-hmm. like they do a really, really good job at shutting down passing, you know, because the assist per field goal made is like number three in the country. They don't mm-hmm. really allow people to get good assists. And kind of, I think, a corollary to that is that they don't allow a lot of three-point attempts. Is that a conscious effort by them to shut down three-point attempts? Or is it just that people seem to think that the best way to attack them is to go inside? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of both, right? I think um, Texas has some good bigs and they have some talent, but they've had some foul trouble inside. Um, and so when when people have gone in free throw line, so it, it, it makes sense to to attack there. But yeah, they've also really, really done a good job. And that's where I said, you can see coach Yaklet's fingerprints all over it, right? He has some specific zones in the court that their defense is built to funnel people to. And it's off the three point line being one of those key tenets to his defensive philosophy. But um, you have to give credit to, to the guard play as well. I think Courtney Ramey has been um, the unsung hero of the year of the season so far. He didn't have a uh, great statistical game against Cade Cunningham, but until he uh, got into foul trouble, basically Cunningham had like, seven points through you know two-thirds of a game and then he he got his fourth foul and all of a sudden he went on like a 15 point barrage out of nowhere um but they were all over he couldn't get an easy look couldn't get an open three really didn't have uh the lane to do what you know again this is one of the best players in the country and potential first round draft pick um Ramey just shut him down and I think Matt Coleman again the senior guard uh is doing a lot as well on that defensive end um I do think the, the guy Greg Brown we talked about him earlier as being the five-star you know, lottery pick potential freshman, he has played some unbelievable effort defense. And I think when you see the guy who you're most worried about, hey, is he going to buy in immediately taking charges, doing those things, um, running people off the line? Uh, their, their, their rotations have been great. They've been really, really, really good at, like you said, uh, breaking up passes, getting hands in the lane. Um, when guys get in tier, they have a ton of length. Um, you know, everywhere from from pretty much like any, anyone who's playing above a two guard basically has good length on this team, and they've been they've been blocking shots and just poking uh, at balls. And so I think you know, like I said, the, the team defense more than any specific player, they have good team defense, and in a, I think it seems like a really really sound defensive philosophy so far. We'll see. Season is long; eight games is not a ton, but it seems like that that is looking to be an identity. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said only eight games so far, but. Uh... 
you know, I'm not sure if that Baylor game has been postponed or officially canceled at this point. I'm guessing if it's going to make a difference in the actual Big 12 title rate or the, the conference race for seedings in the tournament, that they'll probably go ahead and, you know, try to squeeze it in to make it up. I think it's also going to depend on how many other games get canceled, you know, who else has COVID right. outbreaks. So we'll have to see how all that works out. But, um, all right, I do want to go ahead and turn to the actual game itself. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back. All right. So this game obviously is another top 10 matchup. Um, well, depending on where you look, but I, I, I do everything by Ken Palm. So I'm going to say it's a top 10 matchup, even if other people don't yeah. actually think that's, that's the case, but um, oh no, actually, actually, I think the, yeah, the right? AP poll came out today. This is officially a, a top 10 in I think every poll. All right, perfect. Well then it's no, a no doubt top 10 matchup then. Um, which, you know, it just seems to be another one for Kansas. I think this is going to be their fifth of the year so far, which is, or, or maybe even the sixth of the year. This is ridiculous for them. Um, looking at this game though, you know, what do you think is going to be the biggest matchup? Like what, what is the first thing that, that jumps to mind here when you're trying to figure out how this game's going to go? Well, I mean, right. You, you look at a Kansas team and, and, you know, it feels like inside Jalen Wilson is, is a guy who I'll be very curious to see what, the Texas bigs are able to do. Uh, let me go back a little bit. One of my favorite stats of last year, if you remember Jericho Sims, Texas is big. He's been around for a little while. Can leap out of the building. Um, <laughs> he plays so much better against Kansas. It feels like that he does. I don't know if it's a personal vendetta or, or, or what's going on there. Um, but Sims starts at five, but really is probably like fifth or sixth in the minutes rotation for Texas. He starts both halves and, and hasn't really contributed a ton in the second half so far, but I could see uh, Sims being in there for defense rebounding and, and even potentially scoring. He averaged 18 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds and, and uh, a block and a half against Kansas. And then my favorite stat of last year in the games immediately following, he averaged five points, three rebounds and no blocks immediately after playing Kansas. So I'm curious to see what Jericho Sims does in this, if he can earn kind of the Texas fans and coaching staffs trust back because he's still the, the starter, but seeing your minutes get, get cut down as, as, you know, an experienced player um, like that is, 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 can be a little bit concerning, I, I would think. Um, so, you know, this, this is his chance. He likes playing Kansas. Can he, uh, can he have a game for, you know, a throwback game from, from seasons past and, and bring his best again so that uh, he can, he can earn those minutes back and, and show, you know, some, some NBA scouts. Again, he has an incredible potentially one of the country um but you know he, he has the draftable measurables um but can he can he turn that into production this final year yeah it'll be interesting to kind of see you know what what it is that he's able to do obviously being you know one of the two really big guys um and it seems like he is you know he takes the majority of the minutes in terms of playing down low um at least from what i can tell correct me if i'm wrong there but you know he seems to be kind of you know a big a really really big part of what their, um, I guess, what their strategy is down low. And obviously with Kansas having just the one main big guy in David McCormick, um, it, it seems pretty reasonable to think that Sims and McCormick are going to be matched up for good portions of this game. Um, yeah. I mean, are you are you worried about that matchup? Are you looking forward to that matchup? Like, how do you think that that one's actually going to go? Look, I mean, no offense to McCormick, but y'all had bigs last year who just made me, you know, absolutely shake in my boots. And, and Sims held up, you know, pretty well against them. Again, uh, Royce Ham is a guy who's getting more minutes and, and he he's uh, a foul a minute kind of guy. He he plays physical, does some really good things, but you know, he, he's a guy who 
who gets into foul trouble. So uh, really the, the other big has been Kai Jones and he doesn't look like your typical big. I mentioned him earlier that he's a guy who, you know, plays above the rim. He, he, he throws alley oops that, you know, his, his chin is above the backboard. It seems he really has some unreal hops at, a, at about in a wingspan of over seven foot. Um, he's an incredible shot blocker, but maybe not the, the biggest, most muscly guy. So that interior matchup will be interesting. Um, but he is on offensive side, a guy who stretches out to the three point line quite well um, as a stretch five. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm curious, which way Texas attacks it, right? Which of those three gets the majority of the minutes? Again, you know Sims will start. He's at his most effective when he's a rim runner, when he's uh, setting screens and just kind of getting uh, getting around the rim and, and either rebounding or, or you know getting in good position for, for dunks there. Jones, again, is a guy who likes to get to the rim and dunk, but he's a little more slippery about it uh, and could do it off the dribble as well. So again, two, you have the the, the archetypal, big in the kind of newfangled uh, 20th, 21st century uh, big there. And then again, Royce Ham, who's just a, just a bowling ball of a, of a player. So it'll be curious to see who gets the lion's share of the minutes. And I think the game flow will dictate that for sure. Yeah. I'm also kind of interested because while McCormick is technically the only big, um, I mean, Mitch Lightfoot is a, a very small <laughs> type of big and Jalen Wilson plays a lot of minutes to five, which has yeah. been kind of weird. Um, because you know he is definitely more of a shooting guard I'm sorry more of a like a wing um, than he is a big but he's played at the five quite a bit and it's you know been pretty good for them how worried are you about the ability of Kansas to play five you know quote-unquote guards and to be able to take advantage of maybe a a Texas team that isn't necessarily from from what I've been able to tell it doesn't seem like they're particularly quick down low they they seem to try to bully guys or you know, kind of stop people's progress. Whereas if you have a guy like Jalen Wilson can get around a guy, um, you know, like that, that could potentially cause some problems. Yeah. I mean, uh, Texas did well with some, some, you know, blue chip bigs at Indiana. Um, some, some really star guys there who were quick. Um, could have been, you know, him having a bad game, but they, they, they seem to shut down there and I'm hoping they can get some of that blueprint if they want to have success against this Kansas team. But I do think Texas, actually matches up relatively well i mentioned kai jones who also projects maybe at a wing level at the the next level at the nba but again has played some five similar probably type of role uh for texas there um and and then um you know they have three guards who they're really comfortable in ramey uh coleman and 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 the aforementioned andrew jones going out there and then greg brown is a player or he's played some three for texas as a as a really big three and his outside shot hits a little bit more but he's he's shown some pretty good interior defending as well I, he's not a big body who i necessarily think as a freshman is ready just to bang for you know 30 minutes down there um but you know if if he's small and he's at the four i think he's more than comfortable and again a very adept shot blocker as well texas has a ton of length and shot blocking they probably have about four or five shot blocking options even if it's not just a typical you know throw a seven footer in the paint um so i i, I think if Kansas chooses to go small in that way, I think that that actually might set itself up relatively well for Texas. And then again, like I talked about good, good team defense. Uh, and, and I know Kansas uh, has recently been pretty good with the three ball and Texas uh, has defended it well. So something's got to give there. So we'll see inside outside matchup, uh, you know, how Texas is going to attack that. But I do think, um, you know, if Kansas goes small like that, it actually plays relatively well uh, if Shaka chooses to go that way into Texas's hand. Yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing that I'm kind of worried about, if I'm looking at this, you know, trying to put myself in the Texas shoes here is it seems like this team um, 
you know, sends their opponents to the line quite a bit. Like they are very, yep. very bad, it seems, at preventing yep. fouls. Um, like, is that a worry for you? Because Kansas seems to get to the free throw line about yep. average, but have, you know, shown the ability, especially late in the game, to be able to get, you know, there in crucial spots. So, like, how worried are you about the fact that Kansas could potentially get some of their guys in foul trouble, you know, especially in key spots where, you know, Kansas, like, you know, out on, out on the perimeter even, like, that could potentially be a problem. Yeah, that's it's a great point. So that's one of the carryovers that I would like to see change for Texas from last year. Last year, they, you know, didn't necessarily put other teams on the free throw line quite, you know, at such a high clip, uh, but they did, they, they weren't necessarily good at it either, but they just did not get to the free throw line. Texas themselves is getting to the free throw line a little bit more and a little bit better. And you've seen games where they've done that quite well, in fact. Um, but yeah, they continue to, to have some foul trouble issues uh, for, for both guards and bigs because they, they play physical all over the ball. And then there's just been some down, like you see Greg Brown gets some little chintzy, freshman you know fouls where it's again like you don't need to go in and, and you know attack kick the ball out uh and, and avoid that you know that charging uh, call you get on you or you know you you've had just you know Royce Hamm a guy who comes in and all of a sudden he's supposed to give your big uh, a breather and gets three fouls in three minutes you know and, it, and and it's sometimes just a little it's a little boneheaded Jericho Sims has got like I want to say like four fouls this year on illegal screens whether they were or weren't I'll call what they'll call um, and so, you know, some of those things are just like you have to be smarter, right? You can't put yourself into those positions. So, yeah, that, that certainly does worry me a bit. Um, if Texas can continue to get there themselves, right, if they can attack the rim and balance it out a little bit more, I don't feel so, so bad because I think the way that they play aggressive and, and again, being at the start of the season, the, the number one deepest team in the country, right, um, gives them a little bit more leeway um for if someone's in trouble hopefully the drop off isn't that far with the next guy up mentality but still right you want your best six seven eight at the most really guys playing uh in, in this one in majority of the minutes you don't want to see anyone get into that trouble so I, I i'm less worried if texas balances out on the other end and, and gets easy buckets and keeps it keeps it balanced because they've actually been hitting free throws this year another uh, positive development, but but it is something to keep an eye on. And again, if if two Texas bigs are in foul trouble in the first half early, uh, we'll see what Shock has come up with it at halftime and how they deal with it because that could get problematic. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting game. The other thing that jumps out to me here, though, you know, Kansas is a very very good three point shooting team. They take a lot mm-hmm. of their shots from beyond the three point arc, and kind of like what we talked about earlier, Texas is really good at kind of shutting those down or not, you know, or at least not having people try to rein them in bill self has shown some reluctance in the past of just allowing his guys to shoot you know from three but they're shooting around the same clip as they have in the last five years um and this is the only time i can ever remember him saying that they need to shoot it more so it seems like there's kind of been a shift they are definitely looking to shoot the three quite a bit more than they have in the past we'll see how much they're actually able to do that do you think that this is going to be you know, something that they're going to have they're that they're going to struggle with? Or do you think that Texas has just been fortunate to not really run into people yet that have really pushed it from the three-point line? Well, I think Texas season numbers again, eight games. And one of those is against North Carolina, which uh, they have looked better, but just looked, you know, like a, they didn't want to, they just tried to play inside out. Didn't want to shoot threes uh, and B didn't look particularly good at it. Um, Villanova was, was a little bit up and down for being a relatively good three pointing uh, shooting team. Didn't shoot great against Texas. So again, you're saying, okay, is that, 
is any of this, are they forcing that? And I think, again, Kansas is, is a game we're looking to, to, to test some of these theories out. And if they're going to, you know, if, if it is a, a call, I do think uh, Kansas will be able to get their shots, right? I, I don't think this, don't hear me say this Texas defense is so elite that Kansas will, you know, not be able to get a three point shot up. Right. Um, but will they be defended three point shots and will they be able, um, you know, to, to drop those percentages down? And, and I think Texas will defend a lot. Kansas has some, you know, really talented shooters and, and oftentimes a, a hand in the face. Uh, do what, what you imagine, you know, the pre advanced metrics uh, would tell you that's a terrible shot. You can't ever take it. But, you know, if you have good shooters and they've practiced that, uh, that's not necessarily a death sense, especially if you get hot on your home court uh, and get it going. So I'm not going to sit here and predict that Kansas shoots under know uh with any certainty but i do think that texas does a relatively good job of of of, you know rotating to cover um has a lot of quick athletes they they prioritize running teams off the line so it's not going to be that you know kansas just is is getting 10 15 you know 20 open three-point looks i think they could still take their threes um and and you know take them with with potentially uh, a hand in their face yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll also be interesting, too, because, you know, Kansas has four legitimate three-point shooters. Um, yeah. Jalen Wilson is hitting 35% on his own, you know, and he's a guy that can step back by while well, he's yeah. playing five. Um, you know, Christian Brown is hitting 41%. Yeah. Ochai Baji's hitting 42%. Marcus Garrett is hitting, you know, 44%. He hasn't taken nearly as many as the other guys, but, like, he can still kind of step back and take one and hit it. And of course, Mitch Lightfoot, you know, the the guy that he is, he's he's one of one, so he's a perfect hundred percent. So you got to watch <laughs> for that. Um, but no, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. They have so many different guys that can do it, and especially when they're playing the five guard lineup, you have guys that are rotating all around the floor. You know, you really don't know where they're going to be, and it's really easy. Like I have a hard time seeing how Texas is going to be able to get out on guys without playing zone a lot because you know, just of how quickly they can move people around. They can get guys open for shots. And we've seen some teams try to play them, man, man, you know, play, play man against them and lose them in the middle of the defense as a guy runs through the, through the post there. So I, I am curious how Shaka is going to be able to handle that. How many times we're going to see adjustments as these two different teams are trying to, you know, change the way that they're playing to really kind of, you know, take advantage of what the other team is trying to do on defense. So I'll be really interested you know, to really kind of see how this this happens to to work out. Before we get to predictions, though, I did have one more question. Um, Marcus Garrett, you know, his he's kind of renowned for being able to play defense at all five positions. Mm-hmm. Who do you think Garrett ends up getting matched up on for Texas most of the time? Um, I mean, I think you could see him on Andrew Jones. I, I, I really see that as Texas is probably most prolific um, guard. If you come into this game and you want to shut down a Texas guard, it's probably going to be him. Uh, if Matt Coleman who you know hit the game winner against North Carolina and has had multiple games where he just kind of took over a half and and was the best player on the court on either team. If Matt Coleman gets going, I could see him playing point guard for point guard. Um, and and again, Courtney Ramey has at times I think he had a six for six three point game this year. Um, has has been Texas's best three point shooter at at times. Um, and, and typically, I mean, is is right up there. So uh, it depends, right? If 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 he's just you know, trying to stop someone who's got going, but I could really see him starting out on Jones. I don't really, I don't expect to see him on Greg Brown. Um, it wouldn't surprise me entirely. Again, Brown is a guy who, who in batches can score. And, and you saw it in the freshman versus freshman matchup. He outplayed Cade Cunningham, right? I think in, in a head to head, two guys who were AAU teammates who were first round, you know, picks, potential lottery picks, 
talent, he outplayed him. And it was because in that second half, he really got going, got to the free throw line a ton, hit his threes when he had him really sparked a Texas offense that had gone stagnant, um, rebounded really well as well. But I think uh, if, if Greg Brown gets going, I don't know if that's Kansas's best option to stop him because I know you say he can guard all five, but I, again, I, I, Brown is a guy who who I think is listed at like six eight, uh, six nine, but really has a wingspan and can play like a power forward. I mean that that is that is his NBA um, NBA comp. So I'm I'm curious to see um, if that would be the case, and it could be. But I really see him shutting down any of the three guards, but starting probably on Jones if if I can read Coach Self's mind, which I can't, never have been able to. <laughs> Yeah, you know what actually kind of scares me at this game? Because it seems like every game there's a guy that is not a very good three-point shooter or has not had a very good three-point shooting season so far that just completely goes off. And, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at a guy like Brock Cunningham, who I'm afraid is just going <laughs> to have a, you know, random, magical, you know, six or seven game from three and is going to keep Texas in this one. And, yep. you know, Kansas fans are going to be tearing their hair out. Uh, all right, so let's let's go ahead and get to predictions for this game. Who do you think is actually going to go ahead and win this game? Um, you know, given of course the fact that it is it is in Allen Fieldhouse, um, yeah. it'd be huge for for Texas to go ahead and actually steal this game. But do you think that they can, that, that they can actually do it? Texas has played Kansas close, even when they were not as close in talent or in production as they are this year, right? I think this is probably the closest Texas Kansas you know matchup in in years maybe i would go all the way back to um what the the 2011 big 12 uh tournament when kansas was was number two and texas was number 10 again kansas won that one pretty handily i think it was almost double digits but um it was it was at least six or seven eight um and then you know it, the, the the texas fan in me wants to say that yeah i feel confident the Texas can go in and steal it because, you know, the fan situation is not quite like playing, you know, with the echo deafening rock chalk uh, of, of usual. So maybe it gives them a good chance. Um, it is still, you know, it is still hallowed ground, but um, you know, I, I, I'm very curious and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that I think this is like a similar to Texas game against Villanova. And it seems like most of Kansas's games on the schedule this year, this is a one to two possession game. I really believe that there might oh, be yeah. teams that go, go on little runs either way, but if it's a one possession game, again, Texas has had two game winners this year on the last shot, Matt Coleman and Courtney Ramey each hitting one. Um, I could see them if they're going to steal it, it's going to be a last second drive and kick or, or, you know, get a rebound and, and, haul it down for a for a three and texas wins by one or two you know i i'm gonna go out and say since this is pretty much even and usually the the line would tell you favor kansas at home but this is a weird year it's COVID. it's 2021 actually it's a whole new year i think texas has a chance i'm not going to say it definitively they will do it but i think this is their best chance in ages to steal one and i'm going to say something along the lines of like a 67 65 yeah, you know, I was going to say, if this game happened to be like two days earlier, you might have had a better shot just because it would have still been in 2020, you know, That's the right. COVID year. But That's right. um, yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think this is going to be kind of one of those weird last minute games. Uh, you know, Kansas seems to be playing all of their games really, really close, mm-hmm. um, you know, or or the, the vast majority of their games really, really close. And in Big 12 play, everything's kind of come down to just a couple of things here and there. So it'll be interesting to kind of see. I just, it's one of those things like, yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for Kansas to do what they want to do. But I also think it's going to be difficult for Texas to do what they want to do because of yeah. how good Kansas defense is. And if it comes down to who is going to make better adjustments, who's going to be able to do, you know, make it up on the fly and actually come out with a win, I, I have to go with Bill Self. At this point, sure. I think that they're going to go ahead and, 
you know, pull this one off. I do think that Texas has a very good shot at the end of the year to return the favor and, you know, really, really kind of give themselves a big boost going into the end of the season. But we'll just kind of have to see if that will do it. So. Now I, I, I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. I could see a home and home happening in here and it being like a three point total spread across two games. I think this is going to be the fun when, when, you know, Texas had some good teams and Kansas had some good teams in the early aughts uh, or, or early two thousands, even some good matchups. I'm excited uh, for this season against Kansas. I think it's a good measuring stick for Texas, right? I think the big 12 Definitely. is stacked at the top. Baylor uh, obviously would have loved to get a look at them, but I think, you know, you showed West Virginia, uh, there is a blueprint for beating them. I think uh, Texas Tech is is you know not a team you want to mess around with. So I think there's a lot of talent in the Big Twelve at the top, and and even that Oklahoma State team. I wouldn't want to you know wouldn't want to have to play ten times in a row just because you know you got guys and, and really one guy who could who can take over. But um, I, I think it still has some some cachet to Texas fans to play Kansas, and it means something to beat Kansas uh, in any season. But, you know, a season when Texas finally has a little number next to their name, I think it would be a huge statement for, for, for Shaka Smart and his tenure as the Texas coach to get this one. Yep, it'll definitely be interesting. But either way, it's going to be a really interesting Big 12 race. Didn't have time, actually. We're, we're out of time at this point. I was going to try to ask you about your thoughts about the Big 12 race as a whole. We'll have to to chat about that next time. And, of course, by that for point, sure. it'll almost be over. So, um, But <laughs> before we get out of here, where can the people find your work online, Kyle? Oh, you can follow, uh, as you mentioned, our, our podcast at Longhorn Pod on uh, Twitter. That's a Longhorn Republic podcast, part of Burnt Orange Nation. Um, you can also follow me personally at Kyle Carpenter. You can also, if you're into that type of thing, I know we didn't get to play in football this year, but I write a satirical UT football column called the Texas Pregamer. Had a Kansas one all in the about three quarters of the way done by the time they canceled yeah. the game, but you can follow at Texas Pregamer as well. I know I was so ready. We we were going to have you on to go ahead and finish up that, you know, kind of the, the update to it with us for the second one. And I was all ready to double down on the fact that Kansas was going to beat Texas this year in football. And unfortunately, Texas was a little too scared. So no. we ducked them. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining me, Kyle. Hey, thanks for having me. In. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can leave us a rating and a review as well, five stars and nice comments would be absolutely great. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on twitter at rockchalkpod you can also get your voice on the show do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock dash chalk dash podcast slash message leave us a voicemail i promise we'll get it on the show for you but that's gonna do it for us tonight thanks again for listening guys and we will catch you next time on the rock chalk podcast Network.